I don't know of an agency that has our success, our credibility, our track record, our size that still works with small and medium businesses. So we've built a business and had success where I don't know another agency that has at scale that proves in the pudding. We're a month-to-month a la carte agency with 300 plus employees and hundreds and hundreds of brands we're currently managing marketing for. And it's they can fire us whenever they want. It would be an unsustainable business if we didn't do great work. And so most of the time, what we're competing with are five to 10 person little agencies. And I always laugh a little bit. I'm like, so you want to give your growth to someone that can't grow their own business? Seems counterintuitive, but a lot of people go for that quote unquote boutique agency. I get that on the creative side and on the ideation side. When it comes to actually executing growth and performance marketing, those kind of things, if they can't do it for themselves, what the hell are you doing? Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm speaking with my friend Eric Huberman. Eric is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, the fastest growing marketing consultancy in the United States. His company launched in 2014 and is now valued at over $150 million. In addition to Hawk Media, Eric successfully founded, grew, and sold two e-commerce companies by the age of 26. And he continues to strategically expand his business portfolio today. He's been part of multiple acquisitions, launched Hawk Ventures in 2018, and in 2021, went to launch Hawk Z, an agency offering brands the tools needed to tap into Gen Z. He also created Hawk Capital, which offers revenue financing solutions to e-commerce companies. If that wasn't enough, Eric is the host of the popular podcast, Hawk Talk, and the author of The Hawk Method the three principles of marketing that made over 3,000 brands soar. In this episode, you'll hear all about Eric's entrepreneurial journey, including how he started and scaled Hawk Media, and then leveraged that success to expand into so many other verticals. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Eric has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. When you pre-order his book, Hawk Method, you'll receive two free bonuses. First, you'll receive an advanced PDF copy of the manuscript before it's released as your first bonus gift. Next, you'll receive a special invitation to a private Zoom session hosted by Eric, where he'll share his thoughts on the best digital marketing strategies to scale your business in 2022. The Zoom session is limited to 100 attendees to keep it intimate. Plus, during the Zoom session, you can ask Eric your burning questions. That's over $500 of value for free when you pre-order his new book, Hawk Method, 
the three principles of marketing that made over 3,000 brands soar. To get access to this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 69. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Eric Huberman. All right. What's up, Eric? Glad to have you on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got a lot going on in your world. I'm excited to connect, talk about all things that you have under your umbrella, which is a lot, Eric. I don't know how you get it all done, I will tell you that. But here's one thing I know. And I knew immediately uh, upon hanging with you that you were going to be perfect for this audience for just... I mean, your whole life, I feel like, embodies the lifestyle investor. You've got such a cool lifestyle. You and I had just a tremendous time staying at your place or your place is, I should say. You had had side-by-side gorgeous homes in Cabo. uh, And we brought a group there. And it was the coolest thing because they literally were right next to each other, but you had two separate areas. And you had this incredible event lined up with some of the best chefs that I've ever uh, experienced, some of the best food coming to our home, preparing stuff for us, uh, just top notch. So I just want to give you a shout out for that. And I I just know you live life at the fullest, man. (laughs) I try. It's been fun. That's cool. So where did you get this passion for like just living life and having an extraordinary lifestyle and just inviting your friends along? Because I mean, you could easily do stuff yourself, but you're so generous and so inclusive of your friends. I appreciate it. Uh, in terms of the sort of thirst for life, I, I feel like it grew over time. Like I feel like I, I look back, my quote when I graduated college that I put on the board was, I'd rather regret what I did than regret what I didn't. That was also at a time when I had no means. So like I couldn't do that much. But uh, I've always had this desire to like try everything and do I don't know if it's always, but it grew and grew. And then when business started to take off a few years in, uh, it was 2017, I remember. I told my wife that I was like, this is going to be my bucket list year. We're just going to do all the things that we've been wanting to do. And like, it turns out when you're doing, and you don't have to be a billionaire to go check. Like there's actually a pretty low threshold of income that allows you to do most of the things you'd want to do. So I like, I'd started with a heli boarding trip, which actually I'm going on my, what is it? Year five tomorrow for that trip. Nice. Uh, And then we did the Monaco Grand Prix. We did all sorts of crazy stuff that year. And that kind of kicked off like this idea. And I, I will say to rewind a little bit, a year into business, we had an opportunity to sell the company for way more than it was worth, like a real offer. But we knew that we could make it worth a lot more quickly. And so my partner, and I decided to turn it down. But we also discussed turning this into a marathon, not a sprint. Like, why don't we just live like we would if we sold, but live do that now so that we're never in a rush to get out of the business. And for him, that was playing a lot of golf. And for me, it was going on two or three epic trips a year. And that was what was important in 2015 for us. You know, as three kids and a lot different life. And we've both, you know, I actually, my priorities haven't changed that much in that sense. I have a wife now as well, but she joins me on those trips. And, uh, and so by doing so, we were never in a rush to get out of our business. But it also created this kind of thirst for like trying things, doing things. And when you check off your bucket list at what it was I at that point, 30, like... You, now you're like, all right, well, what's next? What's the next cool thing we can do? And so it just turns into a fun kind of self-perpetuating cycle of finding another cool thing to try out and do. Yeah, I love hearing your framework around that. And I remember having a really fun conversation with you 
in Cabo kind of about what what does it cost? Like, what is an epic lifestyle? What does it cost? Yep. But before that, I want to give a shout out to uh, Tony Del Mercado, your partner, because yep. it was funny. I didn't know you guys were partners. And, yep. you know, sure enough, he and I go way back years ago. Yeah, and uh, yep. it was so cool hearing that you guys had partnered up. And so he's just an incredible guy, incredible family man, he, great human being. Yep. So I just want to give some some props to him as well. I yeah, love the small world. And yeah, because we got offered, we've been offered to sell the company. I got literally have an email that just came in and I have a, I have a zero inbox guy. So I did, literally came in at 10.08, it's 10.14 saying, you know, we would like to discuss acquiring your company. Like, uh-huh. So we've had these for pretty much the history of the company because we've also drank our own punch. We're a marketing company. We market ourselves a lot. And so it, the money's always been thrown at me. And so I finally, like, this is several years ago, decided to be like, well, what is enough? Like, I have friends that have sold their companies for billions. I just got off the phone with a friend that sold his bootstrapped company for a billion dollars right before this. And you go, okay, so what does your lifestyle cost? And I started asking this of all these guys, like just, um, and I told them transparently, I'm trying to figure out like, does that change your lifestyle? And all these guys, and it it goes up a little bit over time called inflation, but somewhere between one and 2 million bucks a year. And your kids are in private school. You've got a vacation house. You're traveling private if you want to, like you're, you're fine. And like anything above that is kind of just a bigger boat, a bigger house or a nicer car, I guess. But cars aren't really a function at that point. Like it's actually bigger plane. Those are the three things that change from 2 million to 10 million to 50 million, bigger or more houses, bigger or more boats and bigger or more planes. That's what I see, which, you know, that wasn't really what was driving me. So then at the, that you, you get to the point where you've got that bottom threshold, you can make one or 2 million a year and you go, well, I can afford all the things I want to do. Now you can make decisions on like, what do you want to do with your time? Which is, you know, you call it the lifestyle investor. Like there's a huge amount of freedom in that. And myself, as an example, I like operating businesses. I know that if I sold my company and put a bunch in the bank, I'd invested in some conservative stuff to keep the cash flow going and appreciation, but then I'd probably want to go start another company. And so then the thing goes, well, do I have a better idea of a company to work on? Or do I currently have my best idea? And in my case, I currently have my best idea. So I'm sticking with it. And it it gives you a lot of freedom to make those decisions. But yeah, that one to $2 million is a lot of money a year. Don't get me wrong. But when you see like 40 million, $50 million, like these people that are made like top athletes, things like that, it's like, they're not spending that. And if they are like, it's, it's stupid. They're doing stupid things with that money. That's not making them any happier. So yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And you you might have some listeners and some people watching this that say, wow, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money. And you might have other people watching this that say, wow, that's not a lot of money compared to what I make or compared to my last exit. And so, you know, my audience is going to be pretty broad. Sure. But I do think it's important to say that the lifestyle you desire is generally a lot less than what you think it is. It's that hurdle that I think is important to know. It's like, yes. you, you can, everyone wants to be a billionaire. It's like, I know many billionaires, frankly, their life is, it's slightly different than mine, but the gap in income versus the gap in lifestyle, it's like, they don't live that differently. That's right. That's right. And so there's a lot of truth to this. And, and I've got a bunch of private clients that I coach on really just how to create cash flow and how to think about money and how to really create lifestyle instead of being trapped by the lifestyle you have or the money you make or the business that you own or the job that yep. you have. And many of these individuals, you know, they make a million, two million plus dollars. I've got another one that makes a little under that. And so just running the numbers, this has been a very powerful exercise for many of them, just running yep. the numbers. 
you can have an incredible lifestyle with almost anything and everything you could ever want for $750,000 million. You really can. And though that you still got to get there, and that's a big number, but I think a lot of people think you have to be a centimillionaire, a billionaire to like live this lavish life. Actually, not. I mean, it's hard to spend more than a million dollars in a year. Some people are equipped to do it. And it's amazing. I think most people would have a hard time spending more than a million dollars a year. It's not a hard time. You have to try like you have to want to spend money. Like if you're just doing the things you want to do, you're not going to spend that. But if you're doing the things you like, if you're just doing like the vacation you want to go on, the house you want to own, the car you want to own, etc., you're not going to spend that. If you're now like buying multiple homes and just throwing money around and buying, you know, a bunch of fancy cars and stuff and stuff you're never going to use, then yeah, you can spend it. That's really what it comes yep. down to. That's right. That's right. Well, it's such a fascinating concept because the whole idea of cash flow really matters here. Like, and it's yeah. not even 750000 exactly. a year. It's what does that break down to per month? Because you right. can own the things that you want for a lot less than most people yep. think. Yeah. Uh, especially if you get strategic on on how to do it, especially if you hang with people that have yep. some pretty cool hacks on how to to get yep. a certain lifestyle. And so, yeah, my friend bought a four million dollar plane, but charters it, and so he actually makes fifty grand a year owning a plane, yeah. which it's is not a lot on a four million dollar plane. But you know, he's not losing cash flow on it. That's right. That's right. And you know, we do live in a day and age today where, unlike any other time in history, or at least my history, how how long I've been alive. There hasn't been such a premium in the used planes, cars, whatever market. Like everything used now kind of... There's a little gaming you can do where you can buy it. You can live a cool life with it. You can sell it. And you might be able to sell it for close to, if not more, than what you bought it for. Yeah, it's cool. So give give me an understanding of like where you came up with this idea for your agency. You have an outsourced CMO and marketing team, right? Yep. You, you call your agency Hawk Media. Mm-hmm. Where did this name come from? And, and where did this business idea come from? The name came from... I grew up in a small town called Ojai that's in Southern California. And the uh, Native Americans there are the Chumash tribe. And a, a Native American chief told me when I was like seven years old that red-tailed hawks were my, watching over me. And so like I always they were always flying overhead. So I always like I took that to heart. And so when I went to name my company at 26, I my buddy told me to keep it simple. And I just always loved red tailed hawks. And so I called it Hawk. Hawk with the E was or without the E was taken. So I got hawkmedia.com with the E and uh made it a red logo because red tailed hawks. And that it was that simple because I didn't think I was starting off to build something big. I was just naming my consulting practice something because if I ever wanted to scale it, I didn't want it to be named after me. Yeah, that's cool. And by the way, very smart, very astute as a 26-year-old for you to even be thinking, let me build a company with a name that is not my own. And by the way, no offense to anyone that has done this. I've got a lot of friends that have done this. But on the exit, it becomes a lot trickier because you are the face. It's harder to sell something that has your name, has your image. And so you've done a great job with this. How did you know that this early on? It was more... I just assumed it was actually more on the operational side than the exit side. It was... I, I was worried that for if I built this into something, anytime someone called the company, they'd want to talk to me. And I knew that at scale, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so it took a few years, but pretty quickly, people didn't even know I existed some, a lot of the time when they call Hawk Media. That's great. Like It should yeah. be a brand of its own. I don't need it to be my brand. That's awesome. And by the way, for a young founder to be at a place where you're actually okay with that from an ego standpoint, that's pretty rare. 
because at 26, yeah, you got to keep ego out of it. You do, you do, and it's hard in your earlier years when it's you haven't hard, had yeah. this life experience, this life wisdom yet. So I applaud you for that. That's awesome. And so talk about the growth that you've had here because Hawk Media has taken off. I've seen. I mean, I see countless articles on your company, what you're accomplishing. If I pull up LinkedIn, if I just am scrolling, like I just see awesome things that you guys are doing in the world. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I don't sit still very well. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I also have no problem delegating. Like The whole idea of like control freak in terms of business, don't have it. So like I loved hiring people and offloading things off my plate so I could go do the next thing, but I also like to work. So it allowed us to... And I also... You mentioned Tony... Tony joined me really early in this. And basically after like two weeks, was like, you just go run and grow the thing. I'll handle the day-to-day. And as he put it, uh, I made promises and he delivered on them. And that's what, you know, that was the first probably four or five years of the, four years of the business was that balance, that yin and yang of me running around trying to figure out how to grow it and him making sure that we actually lived up to what I was promising. And we did it. And uh, we were able to get build a good reputation and all that. But I also realized the first four years, I set our goals for the first four years, like a month into business. And we literally came within 1% of all of them over or under, like right there. And so I realized like goal setting in that sense, because then you manage things to those goals. If not, we were talking before this, like we have a January is a slow month for us generally, including this January, but I have goals for January. If I didn't have established numbers that we were supposed to be hitting this month, which looks like we're going to come slightly short of, but we're we're still, we've got a week, we might make it. We're going to be right there. But we wouldn't be scrambling right now to make it. We'd just be like, oh, well, it's January. It was slow. It's okay. Like, But no, we put a number down. We're going to fucking hit that. And that's when you run things that way. And so that combined with those goals were always, frankly, you know, ambitious. And so we set ambitious but attainable goals. And then we committed to going for them and building a team. Early on, it was Tony and I driving it. Now it's having an executive team that's as committed as you are and making sure that everyone's aligned and going to make it happen. And basically all hands on deck to make that happen. And so when you do that, I mean, if we set our goal at 50% growth or 1000% growth, I think it you just you act accordingly, you, you go for it. And I think the risk is if you set it too high, and you go for it, you can end up blowing it because you you go in all in and you can't make it. So there's a balance there. But I think having those ambitious goals drives a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, it's it's neat knowing both you and Tony and seeing your strengths and uh, how well you guys have partnered and meshed together um, because yeah. you really don't want to bog down someone that has that, that's more on the visionary side of things with just day to day responsibilities. But yeah. you take someone who's really good at systems and, and exactly. efficiency and you plug them in to like kind of make it rain, so to say. And that's where the magic of the one plus one equals five kind of happens. So yeah. very cool. Now, you started as an entrepreneur at a young age, you've learned a lot, you've grown a lot, but you haven't just stayed in your lane. You have really expanded into a lot of different ventures, a lot of different avenues. And I'd love for you to share kind of like how you have transformed Hawk Media into other verticals that really kind of help serve the whole company, but you're able to grab at these other these yep. cool market areas of specialty. Yeah. So it comes from a few places. One, which we talked about already is I just have a desire to like experience everything life has to offer. That's personally and professionally. So like when I see other things I can possibly do, whether it's expanding the company internationally and learning how to operate an international business or 
getting into investments, like all these different things. I was like, I want to learn this and I'm lucky enough to have exposure. So the about a year into business, a friend of mine was pivoting his media business to be an e-commerce brand and asked me to invest. And at the time I had this like very strict thesis of I was going to cash flow hawk, put that money into real estate and build a real estate portfolio, risk time on risky stuff. My money's going into conservative investments. That was my plan. So I told him no. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm not asking you. You're investing. You just can write a smaller check as you want. Went fine, wrote a small check into his company, which is now worth somewhere between three and $5 billion. And so went well, went well quickly. And so I said, nice job. (laughs) Yeah, lucky than better be lucky than good. Let's put it that way. And so then I started investing in other companies that I was like, I realized I had access to some interesting deal flow. And so I started investing in more strategic companies to what we were doing. And after a few years, I had an angel investment portfolio that had 11x. And it was like, oh, that's that's a good return. We should do more of this. And had a, we had brought on someone to help manage that. And I had also, at that point, was I married yet? It was close to me. I'd been with my wife, but probably we were still dating, I think. But we were, we were engaged at that point. So we were engaged. Uh, she's in private equity. So I'd seen sort of the behind the curtain of what happens in these finance funds. And like most things I've realized, like no one's that smart. They just all run the same fucking playbook and not from an investment perspective, but how these things operate, it's not that complicated. And so then we started talking about the idea of launching a venture fund. And we did. And we it took us two years to raise 5 million bucks for our first venture fund. But now two and a half years in, we're about 5X on that money as a fund, which is kind of unheard of for an early stage fund. And so now we've just closed our second or the first part of our second fund uh, and we're raising a $50 million fund and raised almost half of it in a week. So once you get that credibility in that network, it starts to happen a lot faster. And so what we found was we built this marketing engine. We have all the access in the world. Every deal that we want to get in wants us in because mostly what we want to invest in are companies we can be a strategic advantage to. So marketing technology, e-commerce tech that's trying to reach our giant roster of clients. If we find something we like that our clients will find useful, we can onboard hundreds of clients immediately, be a market maker for these companies. And by the way, get in at the valuation before they got all those clients. So we get in early, get a huge markup right away in the ne- in a few months. And then frankly, it's just a job of making sure that they get to an exit because we already got our returns in the first few months. Now we just need to make sure that we get cashed out, which can take a few years, but that's the thesis behind it. And so that's what's proven out so far. And that's opened up the whole world of finance to us and a lot of other creative ways too. Yeah, that's incredible that you have gotten the results you have so far. And I love investing in companies where I know that my network or my expertise can help that company scale or exit or whatever needs to happen because you're de-risking it right there. So you already de-risk right out of the gates. Yep. So it's a very smart way to do it. It's really neat to see that you 5x your portfolio in such a short period of time. But for our audience that doesn't necessarily know what venture investing is, how would you describe venture investing to... Yeah. So you know, what we invest in... Venture investing in general is investing in early stage companies, which is you know synonymous with venture. Companies that are not mature, that are not necessarily even profitable yet, that are just in you know starting to grow or in their growth phase. Uh, and it's investing in them, hoping that you get to a point where they get to a value, whether it's an IPO, an exit, or frankly, a great cash flow that gets them to a point where they're worth something. So you're you're the growth partner to get them to a point where they're mature enough to be a real business. Our thesis is investing in early, early stage technology. We like to be around $20,000 a month in revenue, which is nothing for these small businesses. 
but we want to see that they can make some money before we put money in, frankly. And then again, where we can be a huge unfair advantage. We always joke, like we want their competitors to go shit when they see us invest. (laughs) And one of the things I think is really important in this type of investing for anyone that's invested in real estate or in a lot of other, you know, in private equity, like you're always looking for uh, cash flow positive, you know, positive EBITDA companies. But in this, because you're early stage, there's likely not profitability yet. Right. And, and I mean, hey, great if there is, but nine times out of 10, there's not. So you're investing based on a different set of parameters, right? Yep. The, the growth of revenue, the strategic partners, the customer yeah. base. Yeah, what, what do you look for? I look for unit economics, though. So I think that's important. And that's where a lot of venture funds, I think, mess up. I look for the ability to be profitable based on their unit economics, even if they're not profitable right now. So we look at how, what their business model is. And we'll, you know, let's say we add 100 clients. Could they be profitable? Now, if they want to reinvest that into development and expansion and all that, fine. But if we decided to pause for a second or the economy took a hit and we had to just ride it out, would the company sustain? And that's what we look for. Because a lot of these companies don't have the... Uber still doesn't have unit economics. They still don't make money on rides. Like It's absurd. But we, we always look that that is the case from the beginning, that they can make money. And then if they want to dump that money and investment back into growth because they want to be the owner of their industry and their vertical, that makes sense to me. Like, you know, our best investment out of the fund has been PostScript, the SMS marketing tool. They could be profitable anytime they wanted to, but they've taken all that money and dumped it back into being the leader in Shopify SMS marketing. And that has been a win for all of us because now the enterprise value of the company is 100 times what we put into it. Hey, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my online course. As a listener, you probably know my story. In under two years, I had multiplied my net worth to over eight figures and my investments were generating enough passive income for my wife and me to quit our jobs. Since launching the Lifestyle Investor book and podcast, I've had a lot of people reaching out asking how I was able to accomplish this in such a short period of time and how they can start investing just like I do. My methods are unconventional. But I've always wanted to share my strategies and help as many people as possible accomplish financial freedom. And while the podcast is loaded with lots of alternative investment advice from both myself and my guests, it's not intended to be a comprehensive system that walks you through my step-by-step process. That's why I decided to create the Lifestyle Investor course, a roadmap for anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of lifestyle investing. Anyone can use my system, no matter what level they're at in their investing career. So if you want all my strategies for creating passive income and building wealth conveniently packaged up into a simple to follow course, visit justindonald.com forward slash course for all the details. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And generally with first funds, it's hard to raise money or at least harder than at any other point because you don't have the name yet. There's not a a lot of recognition of who you are or your track record, whatever it might be. A lot of times people are coming from a small shop or, you know, they did something on Wall Street or, or, you know, in Silicon Valley or something. Right. And then they'll start their fund. And generally, you're pretty, you know, you give nice terms because you are new. You need to attract this new money in. And now 
you guys have a reputation. So often the second fund, it's way easier. People are throwing money at you. Yep. The terms generally change, yep. right? To be a little more advantageous. We actually went the opposite, funny enough. Oh, did you? Oh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So we were really strict about our terms in the first fund because it was so small. We, we we had to charge it. We did a... It's usually 2 and 20 is a typical fund structure. 20% of the upside, 2% annually of the what you're managing to fund the management. Uh, we had to do two and a half because two and a half percent of five million bucks, 125 grand a year is what we operated. It's like, we're not going to, that's not negotiable. Like we have to pay the guy running it. We have to pay our legal fees and our accounting fees. And that's all we got. So they, we were, we literally just were like, that's non-negotiable. That's how we're operating this. And then when we did fund two, all the people that supported us in fund one, we actually gave a discount on that 20% down to 15 because we were, we wanted to say, thank you. We're like, Hey, you're going to make more money. If we all make money together, you're going to make a little more on this one to say thank you for supporting us when we had no track record. And, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's neat. And you know, it's it's interesting because one of the things that I look for when I invest in funds, and I do like funds as a general rule, but of course, it depends on the thesis and who's running it, You know, who are the managers, what's the track record, all that stuff matters. But you have some of these monster funds and pay attention to what their 2% actually yields. And in many cases, it's so much, I feel like they may not be as motivated to work and get the job done. So having a smaller total fund sometimes is nice because you know that they're in alignment with you. Like they need to see things through to the exit and they're going to make decisions that way. Yeah, I have a friend with a $10 billion fund. So what is that? 200 million a year they're making in fees. (laughs) <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. And obviously everyone's got to start somewhere. And a lot of these big yeah. funds, they started as, you know, smaller funds. But that is something that I pay attention to. Yep. Because Same. I want the alignment. I want to know that I'm okay with whoever I'm investing with. I'm okay with them winning. In fact, I want them to win, but yeah. not at my expense. I want yeah. us to win, right? Yeah. Which has been important for us. Like I don't take management fees from our fund currently. Like as we scale, that might change because it comes to a point where it's like there's a bunch of money sitting there and we might take it, but currently the first two funds, it's all invested in infrastructure and team on the fund. It's not me, it's not Tony. We're both partners in the fund. We get a piece of that carry, but the actual operating expense Drew, who's our partner on the fund, manages that, hires his team, pays the legal fees, et cetera, and makes a salary off that. But we don't, because frankly, we have Hawk Media too. We cash flow that. So we're fully aligned with our LPs. And we're also investors. We put our own money up for these funds. Yeah, that's great. And then, so you have two funds. What's the size of the second fund? And then yeah, I think you had another offering recently, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, first one was five. Second fund, we're aiming for 50. We've raised, I think it's 19. Okay. Is what's actually signed. And for our, and then, yeah, we also have a cap, what we call Hawk, that's Hawk Ventures, which this gets confusing for everyone. Hawk Capital is our financing arm. So we found that through growing companies, companies that grow really fast have cash flow problems because they don't necessarily make all the money back that they spent right away. And so a lot of times you get, you know, working capital lines of credit, you get credit cards, et cetera. But a lot of that can be expensive for early stage companies. So we found a way to partner up with a few banks and create a revenue financing solution, mainly focused on e-commerce brands at this point, uh, that we can finance a company only doing 10 or 20 grand a month in revenue and give them a loan to help them keep scaling while they're growing. It's so fascinating to me that you've been able to take this first business, Hawk Media, where it's outsourced CMO and and marketing. You've been able to take a piece of that in, in Hawk Ventures and kind of get into the venture investing space with a couple of venture funds. You've been able to split off from there 
and you've gotten into the debt space, like a debt fund in very, you know, in a what I would consider a very unique and niche opportunity that with the boom of e-commerce is going to prove probably to be pretty magnificent. And so you at a young age have accomplished so much. And I know that the wheels just keep turning for you. Recently, you decided to put out your first book, The Hawk Method. Yep. So I'd love for you to share a little more about that as well. Yeah. So the mission of our company and really what drove me to start Hawk Media was I was frustrated with my own businesses as well as ones I was consulting for finding great marketing. And so our mission statement for Hawk Media has become accessibility to great marketing. Like, How do we become the best at what we do, but are super easy to work with, cost-effective, easy, flexible, nimble, etc.? And so it just seemed like a logical evolution to actually take our marketing methodology that we've used to grow over 3,000 brands at this point successfully, that we have a pretty consistent method that works and put it into writing and give it out for 15 bucks in a book so that anybody that wants to you're welcome to hire us to help do your marketing. But if you want to learn for yourselves, and it's been awesome feedback so far, because and it's called the Hawk Method, by the way. But it's it's been awesome because we're finding that like sharing this with our clients, now they actually understand what we're doing. So there's a lot less contention. With our own employees, it creates more consistency. Even though we talk about all these methods, now they have like a very... Everyone's on the same page. No pun intended. And then again, <laughs> proliferating it, making it a, a book that people look at as a marketing method. Like For any marketers out there, they still talk about the four Ps in college versus like anything modern or new. And so we've actually already got Columbia, NYU, University of Arizona, and several other colleges picking up our book for their students. And so the idea is to try to teach a modern marketing methodology that we've been using that has worked. And it's a framework. It's not something that will go out of lose time. And then it has things that are timely, like how to actually leverage this framework to run Facebook ads and Google and all these things, the tools that we have now, which that's the piece we'll probably update over time. But the overall framework will exist and is something that I think has been around for 2000 years. It's just been, it's something that we articulated. That's so awesome. And what I see is like, there are a lot of people that understand that are in this space are like, Hey, I need, I need these services. I need this business. But to a certain degree, part of what I think is great about the book is you can educate the market because people that don't know that they need your services can learn that they can get your services or that, you know, that, that these things actually exist. In some cases, they might not know they exist. In some cases, they might not know the the full gamut of all the things that uh, you can do or that you know strong agencies can do. Yeah. And so it's it's really neat seeing just all that you've been able to to do, but modernizing it. Like what is practical and applicable today? That's not like marketing theory. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we took in college. It was like, yeah, you know, yeah. let me give you the four, five, you know, the four steps. Yeah. I hated marketing in college. <laughs> and funny enough, I just joined my college's marketing board. So we'll see if that <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. So, what do you think is like one of the biggest differentiators for your firm and what your team does for businesses that are a right fit? Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. So, I don't know of an agency that has our success, our credibility, our track record, our size that still works with small and medium businesses. So we've built a business and had success where I don't know another agency that has at scale that proves in the pudding. We're a month-to-month a la carte agency with 300 plus employees and hundreds and hundreds of brands we're currently managing marketing for. And it's they can fire us whenever they want. It would be an unsustainable business if we didn't do great work. And so... Most of the time, what we're competing with 
are five to 10 person little agencies. And I always laugh a little bit. I'm like, so you want to give your marketing and your growth to someone that can't grow their own business? Like, seems counterintuitive, but a lot of people go for that quote unquote boutique agency. I get that on the creative side and on the ideation side. When it comes to actually executing growth and performance marketing, those kind of things, if they can't do it for themselves, what the hell are you doing giving them your money? So we've been able to differentiate ourselves. You know, the, the mission is just, we have to be really credible and really easy to work with. And we continue to do that and fulfill that, which has put us in one of the fastest growing agencies in the world, which has been fun. And so it really is just about doing great work, but being easy to work with. And that combination, which I think most companies that are do great work are not easy to work with. And most agencies that are easy to work with don't do great work. And so it's just being both has been our biggest differentiator, as simple as that is. Yeah, you know, it's interesting in the real estate construction space, there's something simple of like, hey, if you can just do what you say you're going to do, you're going to go really far. And often there's like a low bar. And I feel like that's the case here in this space too. Because you have a lot... I mean, I've got a lot of friends in this space, a lot of friends that have companies, agencies, marketing arms, you know, whatever it is. And I hear the stories all the time of like, hey, we got this client who is with this other group and they said they were going to do this thing and never did it and just kept charging them. And then there's a lawsuit pending or whatever the case is. I mean, it's, it is mind boggling how much people say they're going to do and then how short they fall from that. Yeah, I've found that somewhere between 3 and 5% of people across the board are just assholes. Yeah. <laughs> so that there, it's not a big portion, but still 1 in 20 to 1 in 30 people just are not good people. Mm-hmm. And then from there, so you have that piece that you have to deal with, whether you're whoever you are. And then from there, I think that there is a lot of communication problems. We talk about it all the time that like the most critical part of our business is communication. We know we do good work. We've, we, like Objectively, we've grown enough companies from nothing to billions of dollars. Like We know we know how to do marketing. That's not an issue. It's do we communicate well and set expectations with our clients well? And are we dealing with rational human beings? You go back to ego. Ego has been something that has been it can will always continue to be a challenge in our business because we have to check our own ego when we have an egotistical client. And we also have to deal with egotistical clients sometimes that aren't rational, that aren't... We talk about it sometimes where we'll get a client that demands we do things their way. We're like, okay, but then you can't hold us to the result. It's like telling your investment manager how to invest and then yelling at them when the investment doesn't go well. It's like, I'm sorry, what? But, <laughs> but these are the things you deal with. But at the same time, you know, again, for that... Three to five percent. There's another ninety-five to ninety-seven percent of people that are great, and it's a really fun business to help people. You know, basically fulfill their dreams, create their companies. Yeah, that's awesome. And and how would someone who's running a business know if they even needed services like what you guys provide? We make it easy. I mean, we do a free audit for anyone, so you don't need to know what you need. Just you know, have the idea that you want to grow, and we can go tell you, hey, here, and we'll we'll give feedback for free. Like, here are the things you need to be doing. Here's how much it costs for us to do it. If you want to run with it for a little while, go for it. Like, we're long term here. We, you know, we we aren't, as I mentioned before, we're not looking to like exit or sell this company. So we aren't in a rush on anything. Now, companies sometimes. I think one of the biggest things I see people fail with is not making quick decisions. So if you know you need to grow and you know you can't do it, probably move forward with something. But we're also here when you need us kind of thing. Yeah. And I read an article recently about you guys. And I can't remember where I saw it. Probably on LinkedIn or Medium or somewhere, right? And it was bragging about just the results you guys have had. And I'd love for you to share just some of the growth, some of the the big wins that your firm, your your organization, your media company has had. 
Meaning our own growth or our clients' yeah. growth? Yeah. I mean, both. Yeah. I mean, we've worked with a lot of huge brands, but the problem is like, if I add 10, $20 million in revenue to Red Bull, like, cool. <laughs> it's not really effective. I, if I create that from zero for another company, it's life-changing. And we've done that so many times now. It's awesome. We took a company that was selling sports bras at like 20 grand a month had a broken website. We're freaking out. We're about to be on Shark Tank. We rebuilt their website in six months, launched them, and we worked with them through this year. And they were doing you know, high eight-figure revenue. So wow. it's fun to take someone from literally 250 grand in revenue to 60, 70 million bucks. Like, that's the kind of thing we've been able to do a lot of times. I mean, again, we were one of the first investors in FabFitFun. I think they're probably close to a billion in revenue. I don't actually know their numbers. So I'm not sharing any proprietary information. But they're probably between 700 and a billion dollars, 700 million and a billion dollars in revenue now from when we started nothing. And so there's a lot of companies we've been able to engage with that like life changing is an understatement in terms of what they've turned into. And that's super rewarding. And then our own company, no debt, no outside capital. We never raised any money. And we've got over 300 employees making a living off this. Turns out I saw recently our average wage is somewhere right about the same as Apple's, which is really cool to know. And we, yeah, so we have people making a great living. We have client, hundreds of clients growing their businesses with us, a lot that have been with us for years and have made their life off of it. And then we continue to grow. You know, we grew about 70% last year. We're hoping for a similar growth this year and expanding internationally. We started, we opened in Canada last year. We're soon going to be overseas in the next probably couple of weeks this year. So it's fun. That's incredible. Man, Eric, it's just awesome seeing things going so well. And then I also love just this idea of like, hey, for you, it's like, I see companies, I see the inner workings of them, I see where they're at, I see where they can go. I want to be able to invest in them, right? And then you can take that framework, that blueprint to these other companies. And so there's so much of like this value add that you can provide, obviously, having seen the landscape so much, but uh, one of my other friends, you know, I really encouraged him to start this other fund because he looks at the financials on all these companies on the lending side. And so it's really easy for him to know where they are. And so if he could create some other fund where he gets to invest in the equity side based on having all this great info, it would just be incredible. And I feel like you get to do that because you see the inner workings of these companies, you see them early, you see the trend, you see what worked for this other company and how similar they are. And you have an opportunity to maybe advise to most certainly invest and obviously to you know help them grow. And I'm sure there are all kinds of different cool arrangements that can be made. But I just think it's, it's fun when you can be a pioneer in an industry and really have strong impact on entrepreneurs. Because I think entrepreneurs move the world. They solve the majority of the world's problems. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, that's so cool. So what's next for you? I feel like you've got everything. You've got such a cool life. You've got you know lifestyle. You've got big business. You've got growth. You've got investments at work. You've had really just a, a wide array of success. What's next? What keeps you inspired? Yeah, it's the next thing. It's again expanding internationally. We're looking at. Uh, we're currently trying to close a deal to buy a tech company that could become our whole backbone and a whole. There's a whole another thing there that we'll be announcing. That's really cool. You know, look, trying to stay. Uh, nimble and innovative in our industry to be still be the best is a really big driver. And then, uh, you know, having fun personally, I just got my pilot's license, going to continue on that path of continuing, you know, the different accreditations and getting instrument rated all that. So like I have the personal side starting a family soon, probably, you know, got a wife, but kids, I'm sure will be on the way. So 
there's there's plenty still left sort of uh, in front of us and plenty of blue skies. So it's continuing down that path, keeping everything fresh and interesting and fun. That's awesome. Well, I'm just so thrilled that we've been able to hang here and just for people to hear your story, you've got an incredible story and you're sharing so much of it in your book. You're sharing so much of it with your clients. And uh, I just want to thank you for sharing it with our audience here. Where can our audience find more about you and about Hawk Media? Yeah, well, the book is easy. It's just hawkmethod.com or hawkmethod on Amazon, Target, Walmart. So that's easy to find. And then for me, I'm on every social at or slash Eric Huberman and hawkmedia.com is probably easy as well if you want to... And again, we do free audits. So anytime you want us to take a look at a business, happy to. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I feel like there's a ton of synergies here just based on the fact that uh, I love investing in companies and you love helping them get better. So exactly. together we could be a, quite the one-two punch. But uh, you know, really, Eric, I appreciate you taking the time. And Thank you as well. Appreciate you showing up and, and delivering some awesome content and wisdom. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Let me uh, leave our audience the way I like to each week, which is pretty simple. Just take some form of action today towards financial freedom, towards living a life by design that's on your terms. It's not a life by default. But think about one step, one thing, one aspect that you can change or move towards to make this impact in your life. Thanks, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. 